One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Can't quite recall if it was God or if it was Grandma that grabbed her hand and said, "Tell your mum." that I've got her. Tell mum that I have her. (laughs) You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm a journalist and author who's been spending time in other people's ghost stories for more than a decade now. I'm so excited to say that the book that began it all, Spirit Sisters, has been re-released in a new edition. If you want to know more about what inspired the Ghost Files podcast and read the real-life stories that first captured my imagination, pick up a copy of Spirit Sisters wherever books are sold. Now, my guest today, Celeste Franston, is going to tell us about something extraordinary that took place when she was 12 years old, following a tragedy that overturned her family's world. What happened to Celeste has been well documented and is known as a shared death experience. Here's Celeste now to tell us about that encounter that's imprinted itself on her heart and other moments that stand out in her lifetime's worth of spiritual experiences. Welcome to The Ghost Files, Celeste. Please tell us a little about yourself. I am 48. I have lived in Sydney for 23 years. I came from Perth in the eastern hills and I've been in Sydney for 23 years. My family's still waiting for me to come back home, but here I am. Wow. So you're probably not going to go back for the moment, right? No. (laughs) Okay. Now, Celeste, the main story that you're sharing with us today takes place in your childhood, as so many of these experiences of my guests do. But before we get into that, please set the scene. Tell us about your family, the home you were living in in Western Australia. Just sort of take us back in time. Okay, so the house that we lived in, it was built in the 1940s. It was a fibro home. So at the time, mum and dad were living in Albany down in the southwest Australia. And dad had an opportunity to move up to Perth to this little country town. Um, and he took it. They kind of did a house swap. Yeah, that's how okay. we, we got to live in this town. Um, and that was in 1969. Okay. And what about your family? How many siblings? What did your parents do? Oh, okay. So mum was a stay-at-home mum. She had lots of children. So I'm one of nine children. I'm the baby of nine children. So each of your siblings has intuitive gifts, which you believe were passed down from your mum and your grandma. Can you tell us a little bit about that and your sort of your heritage? My mum's Scottish. Her mother was Scottish and my great-grandmother was Irish. Okay. So it's come down from that line. Um, so both my grandmother... I don't know about my great-great-grandmother, but I know my grandmother and my mother both could smell death. My mum it was quite psychic and my grandmother was quite psychic. She predicted her own death, so she read her own death in her tea leaves. So she read tea leaves? 
yes, mm. did. And when yeah. you say smell death, can you explain what you meant? Can you give us an example of that? So what my mum had said was she'd go into a home and they could smell this distinct smell. And I didn't know what that smell was until today. And my sister said, because she's got the same gift, she said, it smells stale. It's like a stale. It's not pungent, it's just stale. And she's only ever had it twice and it was when my mum passed away and when my father got really, really ill last year was the only time that she smelt it and no one else could smell it. Right, and so this smell indicates that a death in the family is likely. The death of that person. Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, so um, my grandmother wasn't very popular. <laughs> Not many people wanted her to come around. Oh, um, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my mum was really intuitive. She was very um, psychic and um, we saw her every day. She comes visiting all the time though. Now in her in her spirit state? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, it's all of us. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all feel her. So you, you feel her around you. That, that's lovely. Absolutely, yeah. Is that comforting? Yeah. Yes, it is. She's a bit of a prankster, though, so she likes to get us a little bit, you know, little prankster kind of mumsy-wumsy, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she does things that will um, kind of go, ooh, make make us go, ooh, ooh. (laughs) Okay. Now, let's go back to the childhood home where you grew up with this huge and very gifted, intuitive family. So most of the activity in your home took place around the back veranda, yeah, that's right. What is your first memory of encountering spirit and how old were you? I recall probably when I was about four or five years old um, and it was just a menacing feeling. It, it's, it wasn't nice. We would walk out the back because um, the bathroom was out in the back veranda um, it was just terrifying. It was like you had to run to the bathroom, then run back inside. It was just that frightening. It was, yeah. So that's your so first I, memory. You know that that was a spirit, though. Is that right? Yes, You're convinced. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So over the years, I did end up seeing um, a spirit there, but my sisters also have their spirits that they've seen there as well, so... Okay. So what's the spirit that you saw and how old were you? So I would have been about 15, maybe 16, and I'd come out of the bedroom and I was walking towards the bathroom and from the corner of my eye I saw a man standing at the back door and when I looked he was gone, but I know he was there. He would have been about maybe 50 in brown pants and a white shirt and he was just looking at me, smiling. He wasn't anything bad. Okay, so he didn't frighten you? No, he didn't frighten me. No. You were about sixteen then, but the most yeah, yeah the most memorable experience of yours, as you describe it, Celeste, happened yeah. in January nineteen eighty five. So that's a couple of years prior yeah. to, to your experience of seeing that man. This involves your sister Belinda. Now please tell us about Belinda and the relationship that you had. There was only 13 months between Belinda and I. We were very, very close. We were very close. We shared clothes. We shared bedrooms. She was an up-and-coming athlete. She was in a lot of athletic competitions. She was a swimmer, a runner. She was everything. And she had so much potential in her life. How old were you at this point and how old was Belinda? 
Oh, I was 12 and she was 13. And she loved Michael Jackson, I think you mentioned to oh, me. Oh, <laughs> my God. Did she ever. She loved Michael Jackson. We, we recently went through her, her trunk and there was hundreds of Michael Jackson posters. And you had them all up in your bedroom, didn't you? We did. We did. <laughs> yeah. In fact, the day after we'd come back from her passing, they had all fallen down off the wall. It was quite startling. We were like, oh, my gosh. That is startling. My goodness. I'm just picturing myself walking in and seeing that. Now, let's fill the listeners in. So please take us back to that very sad summer's day in 1985. Oh, okay. Okay. So it was quite warm. I remember it was a summer's day. I remember looking up at the door, someone was at the door, she was pregnant and she was saying, Belinda's been hit, you know, your daughter's been hit by a car. Dad, who was an ambulance officer at the time, he was actually called out and unbeknownst to him, that was the call he was called out to. And they're saying to him, yeah, and they were saying to him, no, you can't go, John, you can't go. Um, It's your daughter. You can't attend it. So that's when we heard she'd been hit by a drunk driver. So Um, when you say that um, Belinda had been hit, was she walking? Was she, what was she doing? No. So she was sitting on her bike. So what she had done, um, there was the grates in the, the road, they that she put her bicycle wheel in the grate so she could sit there and talk to her friends at the tennis courts. It was a little country town, probably at most 300 people in the town. So she was standing there talking to all her friends and they all witnessed her being hit by this person who had actually hit cut the corner. So this was a drunk driver, you said? Yeah, yeah. He was over 0.08. Oh. Back in 1985, that was the norm, you know, it was okay to have that. But yeah. So she, impact was quite severe. He, he was speeding and she was pretty much brain dead from moments. But, but she was in the hospital, is that right? Celeste? She did end up. Yeah, she did end up going to a hospital. So dad went down into the ambulance with her and she knew she knew she was going to die. She hadn't died then, but she knew she was going to die and she was going in and out of consciousness. So, yeah, then I remember driving in the car and looking at everybody and just it was so surreal. Like it was the first first real death I'd experienced and quite dramatic. Oh, and was your beautiful, beloved, close sister. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So then... You and your siblings were called to say goodbyes. Yeah, we were. We were all called in to say goodbyes. So we went in there and said our goodbyes. Um, we went back home. They turned off the, the respirator or the life support. Mum and Dad had gone out to get something to eat with my aunt. And in that time, she'd passed. Um, But in the meantime, we, as in my sisters and myself and my brother, we were all at my sister's flat. And my sister, Tracy, and I were laying on the floor trying to sleep. I would have been, oh, it would have been about half an hour, perhaps. And Tracy could see me really unsettled. She at first thought it was because I couldn't sleep. And she said I was mumbling and I was tossing and turning and she didn't quite know what was going on. She said about after five minutes I settled and then about half an hour later a phone call came through. But before we get to the phone call. Yeah, tell us about what you experienced because this is the crux of your story. 
it is the crux of my story. So while I was asleep, I had a dream that Belinda and I were hand in hand and we were walking up into heaven. Um, and there was this beautiful garden and it was so beautiful. There was pastel flowers. It was just gorgeous. And there was God. I didn't see God, but I did see God. Like he was there, but yeah, I, and I can't really describe it. It was just, I felt so calm and just so happy and joyful and oh it was just so beautiful and then there was my grandmother she was standing there and then there was another family friend who was actually one of Belinda's friends her name was Tracy and she was standing there as well and we were talking but it wasn't like we were talking now like it was kind of telepathic so I could hear what they were saying and they could hear what I was saying Tracy, the family friend who'd been a friend of Belinda, so she had passed of leukemia, I think you oh, said. Yes, she did. So my grandmother had passed in 1965 and Tracy, she passed in, uh, would have been the early 80s, maybe 82 or 83 um, and she had leukemia. So when I saw her, I was like, oh, this is exciting. You know, I was 12 years old. I was 12. I was like, oh, wow. Hi. <laughs> you know? And she was wearing this bathing suit and she was so sweet and grandma was so sweet. And it was just like, it was so beautiful. And I was holding Belinda's hand and I, don't, I, don't, I can't quite recall if it was God or if it was grandma that grabbed her hand and said, Tell your mum that I've got her. Tell mum that I have her. And um, she said, now it's time for you to go back. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going because I didn't want to go because, you know, I, I loved my sister so much and I felt so at peace and so, so happy. They said, no, it's not your time. You have to go back. And I was going, no, no. <laughs> and then I felt myself flying back into my body I suppose except I was over myself and I could see myself on the ground and I was tossing and turning and I woke up and I said to everyone Belinda's dead I just want to unpack yeah. a little bit more of the experience because it is oh, so so very special it is so yeah. this was a beautiful garden setting just it like was. the most ideal garden and you yeah. saw beautiful colors is that right Absolutely, absolutely. It was all pastels though. It wasn't bright, it was pastels. It was just gorgeous. And you were holding Melinda's hand and you were walking through this garden with her? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did she talk to you telepathically? Uh, no, not that I recall, no. I just remember we were hand in hand and we were just like, oh, okay, we're going for a walk. It was like that. It just felt so natural and it felt so real. I didn't think that she died. I didn't think it didn't occur to me that she died. I just remember, you know, being there and and grandma saying I had to go back and I was like, no. And your grandma, obviously you'd never met her. Never met her. Yeah. So there she was and she was very familiar. Yeah. And how did you see her? What sort of age did she present and what was she wearing? Well, she was in her 50s when she passed away. 
and she had wavy hair and it was just beautifully done. She had a round face and she was wearing glasses and she wore this, I can't remember quite remember now, but it was grey, I think a grey suit or something or grey something <laughs> um, and shoes that were buckled. I remember the shoes, they were buckled and they had a heel. Okay. I just remember that. And, yeah, and Tracy, she had a bathing suit on and it was blue on, on the top and white on the bottom. So kind of reminded me like little sailor and she had a, a tire that was around her. Do you mean like a floaty because she'd come out of, as if she'd come out of the water? Yes. Yeah, yes, if she'd come out of the pool. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. And so that had you met Tracy in life? I would say I would have had to have. I don't remember. Because you was were quite little when she passed away. Yeah, right. I was quite little, yeah. I would have been about eight or nine maybe. Okay. And just the, the beautiful all-pervading warm, bright light that was around oh, you. Yeah, it was, it was so nice. When you woke up, let's go back to that moment, you, you were crying sure. and you said? I said, Belinda's dead. And everyone looked at me and they were going, oh, my God, oh, my God, how do you know that? How do you know that? And then I told them about my story. Yeah. And so what had happened while you were asleep? What had happened was Margie and Audrey were sitting in the bedroom. They were talking. Tracy was with me in the lounge room on the floor. Um, These are your sisters. Yes, sorry. Yeah, these are my sisters. A call had come in telling us that she'd finally passed. So they turned off the yeah, they turned off the respirator and she passed away. So she didn't know that. You didn't know that, but it is as if you experienced her transition. I did, yes. Yeah, definitely. When you woke up from this experience, did you have an immediate sense that it was more than a dream? No, it felt very real. Yeah, it was kind of both. So when I think about it now, it feels like it was a dream. But I I do know that at the time it was very real. It was real. It felt like I was really there. Wow. So at this point when you had the experience, you were sleeping at your on the floor of your married sister's home. Yeah. That's right, with your other siblings. And then when you returned home, you walked into your room and that's when you saw... All the posters <laughs> were down. Yeah. Yeah, How did you feel when you saw that? We were very spooked. We're very spiritual. This is quite funny because we're all quite spiritual and we're all quite intuitive and have a lot of... Um, experiences yeah oh gifts yeah (laughs) um yet we're all terrified (laughs) yes that's not uncommon we all get spooked by it it's really funny um I remember walking in there and we're just like oh my god and we're calling mum and dad and they were like oh my god and so we just grabbed them all and we put them all away and yeah it was quite frightening to be honest yeah yeah so when that veil is so thin I guess it's frightening you know yeah yeah. now did you tell your mum pretty much straight away about the experience yeah I did so they'd come back from the hospital and my sister said to mum you know Celeste has had this dream you know, you need to listen to what's happened. And um, so I sat on the bed with mum and I remember sitting there and I was holding a tissue and I was rolling the tissue up in my hand, telling her this dream. And I turned around and I'd said to her, I said, grandma told me to tell you that she's got her. 
And my mum looked at me and she said, oh my God, she said, that's, that's the only thing I asked was mum, please be there for, for my daughter. And all those years, uh, that's the only reason why my mum believed me was from those words. Yeah, it's very evidential. It really validates your experience, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. It sure does, yeah. Wow. And around two weeks later, you had another sign from Belinda, <laughs> didn't you? Oh, yeah. I was still sleeping in the, the room that we shared and I'd gone to bed this one night and it was on the veranda. So there was three windows and each had a blind. Now, two blinds were were down already and they'd been down all day. The third blind, which was closest to the door, I pulled it down and I'm laying in bed <laughs> and I go, Belinda, if you're here, give me a sign. And all three blinds, boom, boom, boom. Oh, God. <laughs> I got up and I ran. I was so frightened. Uh, Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Be very careful what you wish for. <laughs> oh, my God. What did you say? That you never slept in that room again? Is that what you never said? Oh. Yeah. Never slept in there again. I was so terrified. I was like, I mean, how silly is that? <laughs> it was so funny though. Wow, yeah. your sister, how powerful her energy to, to make I that know. happen. I know. Celeste, I wonder, in the immediate aftermath of losing your, your precious sister, did you look back on the memory of what you'd experienced, that beautiful place that you'd glimpsed, and did you take comfort from it? Or was it more a case of... You know, you've been too young at that point to understand it and perhaps pushing it out of your mind. I was quite embarrassed to tell people about my story. I thought that they would think I was crazy. I recall the first lady that I told and she went for the Red Cross. So she was quite a spiritual lady. And I remember she, she was telling me, I would have been about 19, and she said to me, you know, that's a really beautiful story. And I said, you're the first person I've ever told apart from my immediate family that knew because I felt so ashamed and I don't know why I felt ashamed or embarrassed. Yeah. Well, there is a stigma around these experiences, which is part of the reason why I like to share them in this mm-hmm. podcast to help, you know, dispel that somewhat. But the, mm. grief, the grief of losing Belinda seemed to expand your psychic abilities in your latter teen years, Celeste. Yeah, it did. And that's when you went on to see that man that you told us about at the beginning. Yes. And you saw others as well. Can you share a couple of those? Yeah, I certainly did. Um, I was working at a a hotel in the city in Perth um, called the Old Melbourne and I'd gone downstairs to get a drink or something. I can't quite remember what it was. But I was walking – it was three flights of stairs and I was walking down and I was getting to the the second flight to go down and there's this – beautiful man there he was so beautiful he was he was an older gentleman um he was wearing a cardigan and had pants on just like looking at anybody else it's just like he was there and I said oh can I help you because we, we were closed didn't didn't even occur to me and he smiled at me and and he was gone it was like oh it was so surreal it was like oh Oh, okay. <laughs> I just saw what I saw. Yeah. He was so beautiful. He was so beautiful too. Yes, and he must have made quite an impact on you because I can I can hear the smile in your voice as you talk about yeah, him. Yeah. 
And was there another apparition you saw that would actually bang on the back door and that was not so pleasant? Oh, yes. Yeah, that's where I'm living now. So, ah, okay. So when we first moved in here, it wasn't so bad, but then I started to then I started to get a bit more spiritual again. So I closed it off for many years because of it was it's quite traumatic, you know, when you lose lose someone so close. So I, I kind of opened my senses to it again, and there's this man. He just constantly comes at my back door. And he is frightened. He's absolutely terrified. And it's like he's slamming the door to come in. And I, I don't know if he is scared or if he's trying to just get in to my soul. I don't know. But I ended up putting a block out blind. So, and I white light. So I can't see that. I can't see him anymore. So when did that begin to happen? Oh, geez, probably eight years ago. So I've been here 10 years. So that started happening eight years ago. I spoke to my sister about it maybe five years ago. um, And she told me, just put something there so you can't see them and white light and that'll keep you safe from them. But I still feel him. I still feel that presence. Even now sitting here, I can still feel him. Did he look to you like a, just like a flesh and blood person banging the, on your back door? He did, but he he does, but he doesn't. So for what I, what I see is he's got both fists and he's screaming, but he's like floating. Oh. That, that's the only way I can describe it. So you can see his feet off the ground? Yeah, yeah. So, oh. yeah. And he's frightened. He's he's either terrified or he just wants my soul. I don't know. Yeah, that is scary. <laughs> yeah. He he really frightens me. Do you get any sense of his story, either his age or when he lived and what might have happened to him? Okay. So I'd say he's 35, around 35 years old. No, I can't get anything else. I just, I know he's 35. He's like a, a convict. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is the area you live in, was it somewhere that was settled early or is there any history there? Yeah, so um, it's near Parramatta where I live. It's near Ah, Parramatta. Okay, yes, that's very historic, yep. Yeah, um, and where I actually live, it's quite a historic area as well. So it was one of the main lines up into the Blue Mountains crossed through here. Okay. So there's perhaps, I'm just going to venture, perhaps he wants your help. Yeah. Yeah, because he he knows that you can see him. Yes, but he scares me. Yeah, I understand. (laughs) I don't know what I'd do if I saw that. I couldn't regularly. So you would see him regularly. Oh, all the time, all the time, every day, every day. And nobody else in your family would see him? No, my husband doesn't see him, no. Okay. So there's a sense that you have shut down because, as you said, it's traumatic. Yeah. But would you consider at some stage in the future perhaps gently opening up and seeing what you can do to help these people? Would that be something? Yeah, I, I am currently working on that, you know, and there's there's a lot of layers that I need to go through to, to get back to that point. Indeed. Yeah. It's all very complex, as you say, this whole yeah. business, you know. Yeah, there's, there's a ghost story or two that we share and then behind that there's layer upon layer of experience and story and trauma. And Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah. 
Well, yeah. um, so yes. So, and yet you've experienced all these things, but Celeste, your most memorable moment remains that time that you shared your sister's transition. Yeah. And what would you say is most unforgettable about that? All these years later, what is it that really sticks in your mind about that moment? That there is another another plane. There is another place that we go to and it's beautiful and it's nothing to be afraid of and it's just beautiful yeah and I can't wait to go back (laughs) Mm. what you experienced is called a shared death experience but when did you become familiar with that term just recently actually and I think it was from a podcast that you had had played or you'd spoken about a shared death experience and I was like, oh, my gosh, that happened to me. Yes, you're not alone. There have been many people that have experienced what you've experienced because when you wrote to me, you thought that you'd had a near-death experience and I suggested that it might have been a shared-death experience because I'd read there have been entire books written about them solely about the kind of experience that you had. So, you know, and you'll find so much out there, so many other experiences, which I think you might take comfort from as well. Yeah. Wow. It's certainly beautiful. It's certainly, um, I feel so grateful and so privileged to have been able to experience that. And I think I was allowed to do that. I think that they allowed me to do that transition because I was quite psychic anyway. I think that it helped me pass the message on to my family to know that it wasn't bad because we were all in such a, a, a horrible place. We were in such a horrible state. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think I was allowed to do that to bring the message back to say, look, you know, she's gone to such a beautiful place. You were the bridge in that moment, yeah. I was, yeah. How lovely. So to sum up, what can an encounter with the dead, and in your case a beloved person who's passed, teach us about living? Just not to be afraid to to live, I suppose. Or don't be afraid to die. Hmm. It just brings bring comfort and just just know that, you know, it's more about love and how we connect with each other rather than the material things in life. What a lovely message to end on. Thank you very much, Celeste, for sharing your beautiful story with us today on The Ghost Files. Oh, thank you, Karina. Thank you for listening to The Ghost Files. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.